0: Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at MarksDailyApple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at PrimalBlueprint.com.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have two superstars from KetoGains.com, Luis Villanenor and Tyler Cartwright they are some of the go-to people on low carb ketogenic dieting and also keto and low carb and how it applies to bodybuilding and also just general training. Um just because gains is in the title this is not about bodybuilding it's about keto for metabolic efficiency in every which way you can manage it for both men and women. And these guys are just superstars. They I've seen I see them talk so many different places and I want to start with you Lewis cuz uh last year 2018 Paleo FX, I was on a keto panel with you and I had never met you and I didn't know know, much before just going in other than researching you a little bit. And then I heard you say, you know, I've been keto for 18 years and I'm not dead yet. So let's start with how you found it because you sort of came to it in a way, you were so curious at a young age and you were just so into the research, but how did you come across this and then decide, okay, I'm going to try it?
2: Yeah, well, uh, first of uh, all, thanks for having us. Uh, it's always a pleasure to chat with you and even more so in this format. Uh, so, yeah, well, um, I basically I'm uh, what I like to call a self-made uh, nutritionist, even though I'm not really a certified nutritionist. I am indeed um, a, an actual a sports nutritionist uh, by certifications that I've taken uh, after years of study. But I studied nutrition ever since I've been 16, uh, and probably prior, but more so out of interest for improving my, my physique and my well-being. I was a classic uh, fatty kid at school. And um, even though I tried different diets and different approaches, it really didn't work for me in regards to that uh, I'm a person that likes to understand the whys in the house. So if you don't really explain to me something in a way that makes sense, I will probably have a hard time following instructions.
1: What didn't make sense to you?
2: Uh, It's it's a story that I always uh, like to to tell, but um, no offense intended. But my mother took me to a nutritionist, and this nutritionist was a fat lady. So first of all, it didn't make sense that someone who was very overweight would tell me how to lose my weight. And then the thing that she did with me was basically give me a cookie cut plan. And I still remember it was uh, two sheets of paper with a classic, have this for breakfast, eat every three hours, have lots of fruits and vegetables, blah, blah, blah. You know, the classic crap that really doesn't re and it has been repeated thousands of times. And so, of course, uh, me being uh, someone that tries to break uh, somehow their rules, um, may found a way to really much mess up the plan she made for me and I actually ended up gaining weight with her plan. so uh, I decided to try to do things my way to research and at the time we didn't have internet and so most of my nutrition I got it by going to the actual libraries and reading uh, basically encyclopedias and books on nutrition and then Years later, when I actually found keto was I had already lost a lot of weight by my own means, but I also wanted to gain muscle and I also wanted to do so while staying lean. So at this time, we already had internet. I'm talking about the 2000s, the early 2000s, and upon you know, researching on the Internet we had at that time, I'm speaking like an old man. But yeah, um, at the time, we, we didn't have, you know, web proper websites. We had uh, bulletin boards and I found one which was about bodybuilding. And there was this classic diet that old time bodybuilders use, which was very much uh, steak and eggs. So at the time, there was a few scientists that actually researched why this worked. One of them was uh, Dr. Mario Di Pasquale, and uh, they had this uh, book that was called Body Opus, which was pretty much basically a ketogenic diet designed for bodybuilders with an emphasis on protein. So I started uh, uh, researching. I uh, bought the book. I got some uh, books on the on the college library, and uh, it resonated with me very well. Tried to do it on my own. It worked. Uh, I like the way of eating, which was very much at the time I was eating, you know, some green veggies and uh, chicken, salmon, tuna and beef. Very much like how I eat today. And let's say that that very much became my diet for the last almost 20 years. Very much. I keep eating about the same now. So it's just very simple. Meats and veggies.
1: Well, now you're in fashion a little bit because keto is a bud- buzzword, but What were, I I can only imagine, the multitude of objections over the years and things that people have said to you, whether it was a doctor, (laughs) I would love to hear the, uh, oh my gosh, you're going to die comments that you got over the years. I'd love you to just indulge us there.
2: Yeah. First, when I was researching upon the diet, I have doctors in my family and I actually was a little bit worried about the cholesterol thing. Uh, there, I, I, again, it was, there was no real actual scientific, uh, information. You could not really go into PubMed at the time and look for studies because that, it, PubMed, I don't think even existed at 2000. Even if it did, wasn't too easy to get a hold of. Uh, so basically I went with what I knew and I asked uh, uh, a, aunt of mine who is, uh, an MD, okay, so what about this and what about that? And she was like, oh, I've heard about ketogenic diets uh, you know, she was a classic, uh, it's not safe to have high ketones because you're going to get keto as does. So just watch about, uh, because of that. And also check your cholesterol. Don't do it for more than two months. You know, I don't know why they keep saying don't do it for more than two or three months. And I asked her, okay, so what happens after two months? And she was like, uh, I don't know. They're like, well, you don't know why, <laughs> why you're telling me what's going to happen. Am I going to die or get a heart attack or so on? And then like, uh, this is an aunt that lives on uh, another state. So I normally see it, here about four, three times a year, you know, special occasions. And so next year was like, okay, so I'm not dead yet. And I didn't stop in two months and I feel great. And she was like, oh, well, I don't know. So just be careful and don't do it for long term, you know, and so on. And every year she sees me and I'm looking about the same in, in regards that I haven't really aged that much. like people that... See me. Don't really think that I'm almost forty-two years, and so um whereas my peers and my my cousins and everyone else in my family, you know, is you know uh, going with the times, and they are getting you know, unhealthier, like the classic uh, way people age, you know. And I'm not getting older in that regard. I'm not getting unhealthier. Everybody asks me, so what are you doing? And when I tell them, oh, I follow a diet like this the classic response that I get is I couldn't live without bread or in this case without tortillas or frijoles or, you know, beans, Uh, like it's not going to die. It's not going to be so hard. But, uh, yeah, to answer your question at first, I was very, you know, uh, emphatic in telling people what I did. And then over a couple of months and years, it was like, you know, damn it. And I am just going to say that I'm doing a bodybuilder diet. And, you know, there was even times when I had girlfriends, that I was with one or two years, and they even realized that I was doing a weird diet because I was just eating vegetables and meat and, you know, and eggs. It was like, I, I just don't eat bread, and that's it.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting thing to navigate. I want to, um, a couple of comments on things you had to say, and then I want to move to Tyler, and then we'll come back, we'll go back and forth because there's so many things I want to get into here. First of all, steak and eggs is delicious, so I think I would just put it in every study that I would ever do. But also... Um, it's just interesting that you've seen the progression of over time and the reaction where people have gone and you really have, you look so young. I mean, anyone really just go Google him. It's just amazing. Um, Tyler, your story is profoundly a one hundred and eighty. beyond, I don't even know where to begin with your story. So you're the, you're the best person to start with. It's, it's amazing.
3: So, uh, just about thirteen years ago now, I was a quarter of a ton. And
1: can you tell us what that number is?
3: Five hundred and five pounds. Um, I guess I should be specific and say, I guess, an imperial ton. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I think at some point, uh, you know, the the size of a baby blue whale is is the acceptable answer there. Is quick math, but uh, um. You know, I would literally fall asleep while driving. I would fall asleep while talking to people. I would fall asleep while sitting, staring, having just woken up. There was probably 16 to 20 hours a day spent sleeping or falling asleep or completely knocked on my rear end. Uh, A1C was 13, I believe, was the highest number I ever saw, which – Uh, at that point, your blood type is maple and, uh,
1: (laughs) Vermont,
3: (laughs) you know, seriously, your, your blood sugar is literally syrup at that point. Um, yeah, I was on the fast track towards amputation and death. Quite frankly, I was eating almost 13,000, 14,000 calories in a day, um, on really, I guess I would say heavy days, pun intended. Um, just uh, just because I had to eat that much to function, quite frankly, to stay awake long enough to do work. So uh,
1: let let's. I want to also ask you. So, were you always as a child? What how, what's the progression of, and then when did it go? Oh boy, because you know at some point you're at two hundred, then you're at three hundred, right? So you know, give us a little
3: timeline there. Yeah, no. So I was an athlete when I was in high school. I mean, powerlifter, football player, played tennis. Um jokingly tried out for freshman basketball because I thought that I would just be the guy that the coach put in there to maul the other team's best player um, was a pretty strong dude. I mean, at the peak of my strength, I was chasing an 1800 pound three lift total, which is ridiculous for somebody in high school. Um, so, I mean, I was, I was on a pretty fast track towards uh being sort of a world-class power lifter and, uh, um, really figured out that I could eat a lot of food, but when you're training, like I was, it really didn't matter. Right. I mean, ultimately, you know, you were fueling because you just had to have calories. It was like any food would do, um, ended up, messing up knees, deciding to give up sports, uh, never really quit eating like that. And I realized that there was probably a whole lot of, of anxiety and depression being masked with food, um, along that path. And so ultimately, you know, into my college years, I initially had substituted food with alcohol. Um, I realized that, uh, I really enjoyed staying drunk because it let me sort of turn my brain off. And Luis will tell you that uh Tyler thinking on something is both the best and worst thing on the planet because I obsess and fixate on things until I come up with a working solution or annoy everybody around me. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, ultimately – uh you know, there was actually a time where I literally could not get drunk. Um, stomach volume contents, I would start in the morning with Bacardi 151 and orange juice and a two-liter, what do they call it, like Bubba keg or whatever they are that you can carry around, like the 64-ounce thermos. Uh, diabetes in a mug is what I generally refer to them as. But uh, um would actually fill up two of those over the course of the day, going to college, uh working a little side hustle business thing in the background. Um, and I just realized that I was going to kill myself with booze. And when I stopped being able to get drunk, food was still there and it still fixed and tripped a lot of those same sensors. It didn't really turn off my brain, but there's a reason we call it comfort food. Um, you know, it was a real big comfort for the fact that I just was not happy with life and circumstances and everything else. And so, uh, so yeah, it was really into my twenties when I started gaining and put it on over the course of 10 or 12 years, just piling on pounds after pounds after pounds. Um,
1: at what point or what weight, if you remember, was it sort of like now you really need the help of others and you're disabled
3: at this point with this. You know, the funny thing about being strong is you're always strong physically anyway. Um, I, I like to point out sometimes that when I've had conversations with folks that are really physically strong, they're either one of two types of personality. They're either exceptionally strong in almost all facets of life. Right. Um, or they're, using that physical strength to mask some underlying weakness and there's really that's kind of the two personality types but the funny thing about about strength is that if you bang something strong ever so slightly out of the direction that it's strong it falls into a thousand pieces and uh you know i was physically strong enough that i could still get up and still walk around there really wasn't ever a point where i necessarily realized that hey i you know, I need somebody to do something for me or help me to do anything. I was still physically going hunting and going walking and doing whatever. Um, you know, which was, I think, just a blessing of having been as strong as I was at 18 and 19 years old, because if I hadn't been, I'd have probably been wheelchair bound or bedridden long, long before I really had that, that epiphany or that moment of clarity to, start moving in the right direction.
1: My first question on this angle is at what point or if ever did family friends have sort of like a come to Jesus intervention with you? Did anybody speak up and say, Hey,
3: you know, it's, it's funny you live in the South and everybody tries to look the other direction. Mm. Um, I think it's just the culture that, you know, yeah. A joke sometimes like I, I so much prefer the New York personality type because I'll look at you and go, Hey, you're fat. What are you going to do? about it?" You
1: know, <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah that's really- kind of like where I'm from Chicago. Same thing. Mark's the same way from Maine. You yeah.
3: always know where you stand with somebody who's always willing to tell you where <laughs> right. you stand. Um, you know, but I think in the South, it's a little less socially acceptable to acknowledge or, or see that, um, uh, you know, my, my dad, We went hunting one time because uh, a joke sometimes that every story about my father is either we were fishing or we were hunting or we were sitting around at the farm, Um, which makes you think he's Daniel Boone, but, you know, quite the opposite. (laughs) Um, You know, we, we were sitting there and, you know, this is a man I once buried. And I don't know if you know what a treble hook is. I don't know if you've ever fished or not, but it's a it's a hook on a lure with three hooks on one piece of metal. So it's designed to really catch the fish and not tear the, the mouth open. So if you want to let it go, it locks in really tight. And I was go. yeah, I buried one squarely into his back right next to his spine when I was seven. Wow. And so he had me drive the boat because I assume turning shoulder blades hurt um, to a Marina where they sterilized a box knife with kerosene and they cut it out of his back. <laughs> oh and I never heard him make a sound. So when I put things into perspective, I want to start the conversation by saying my dad is one of the strongest physically, emotionally. He is the definition. When I said, strong people are either really strong or really masking something of strength. And he was a real role model in that growing up. Um, I got up in the morning to go hunting with him and, you know, he just looked at me and he said, um, you don't breathe for 90 seconds in between your breaths while you sleep. And he said, you literally wake up gasping for air. And I laid, well, more specifically, I sat up all night long listening and wondering which one of these breaths was going to be my son's last breath. Mm -hmm. And you know, that was one of those things that kind of hits you, but it's funny when you're prideful and you still kind of have that capacity to say, Oh, I'm just a fluffy athlete. I'm in a bulk, you know, whatever, (laughs) um, (laughs) a a very big bulk. Um, yeah, you, you can lie to yourself in a really impressive way. My mother actually wrote a letter to me, um, and I've written about this and spoken about it a few times and you'll have to forgive me. I always get a little bit emotional. I'll try my best not to get too weepy here, but um, you know, she she just wrote this letter and it said, um, you know, Tyler, uh, mothers aren't supposed to bury their children. And she said, you fall asleep while talking to me, you know, you're not healthy, and I'm scared to death that I'm going to have to bury you. And, you know, I was mad, like, straight up. I, I didn't defenses. want to
1: speak
3: to her. Yeah. I was pissed at her somehow. It's like, yeah. it's a little Emperor's New Clothes thing, right? I knew it, but hearing somebody say it when you grow up in sort of that southern colloquial thing where everybody ignores the literal elephant in the room, um, you just don't get exposed to that, right? And so I uh you know, I was mad. And ultimately, I mean there's a very long, weirdly drawn out story, but I'll try and compact it. Um very shortly thereafter I ended up uh having to well finally just gave up the ghost of buckling the seatbelt behind me and went to the Ford dealership to pick up seatbelt extenders for the, the F-150 that I had bought and a woman who I'm pretty sure was a size negative two, if that's a size, was working the...
1: uh, the I'm in Hollywood. It's a size.
3: (laughs) Uh, Okay, there you go. Um, (laughs) Like, literally, it's inverse. Like, they they literally (laughs) cross the x-axis and come back out the other side. Um, And so I go in to place the order for the parts, and I knew they had them in stock. And so, you know, she comes back out, and, and over the intercom, when I'm literally the only... Quarter of a ton human beings standing, because I didn't fit in any of the seats in the waiting room, um, proceeds to go to the intercom and announce, well, the gentleman who was looking for the seat belt extenders, please come to the front counter. Your your parts are ready for you. Wow. Um, And honestly, I don't think she meant anything insulting about it, but you tend to be a little hypersensitive when you're that big and somebody points that out to you. Um, and so I actually was pretty pissed off if I can be real honest. And so there was a little restaurant. Luis always tells me it's racist. Um, it was called the lazy donkey Mexican restaurant, not far from Al <laughs> It's a
1: little so, racist. <laughs>
3: um, and so, uh, you know, so I go in and when you go into a restaurant and you have a table, you're either a mafia Don or you eat there entirely too, too often. Um I got there and the lady literally moved a family away from the table that was my table and put them at another table. Um it was actually the only table that I fit in in the entire restaurant. Um so sat down, they didn't even ask me my order or bring me a menu. They just knew what I got every time, so the large bowl of cheese dip and two baskets of chips and Coca-Cola and two chimichangas with beef and chicken and rice and no beans um, and so i, I literally set back as they were bringing the food to the table because you know of course they they come out with the colloquial mexican greeting hot plate hot plate and they they set it on the table and as i set back to give them space i literally heard the chair break underneath me and oh man yeah the chair buckled and i went over and knocked over chimichangas rice and cheese dip squarely into my lap and chest. and so That's a I, sign. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I sort of jumped up and tossed 20 bucks on the counter and uh, jumped into my truck and got even further pissed off about the fact that the seat belt extender was there staring me in the face again. And the letter from my mother was in the passenger seat of the car because I just couldn't shake it. And I literally drove out. There's a little spillway dam. It's, you know, like three feet tall, but it's just, it just breaks up the water flow. And there's a little eddy on the side where people bring their kids to swim. And my wife was wanting a child at the time. And I mean, I obviously would like to have had a child, but her desire at the time was substantially higher to do that than mine. And that just wasn't possible. Um, physically or, you know, psychologically, we were neither one in a good place. Um just to put things in perspective, she herself was over 300 pounds at the time and has lost well over 120 pounds and maintained that. Uh, she'll tell you she was only 280 pounds, but I remember differently. Um, <laughs> but uh, that denial
1: is de- Bill's in deep, isn't it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, I uh, you know, was sitting out there and I just I had driven out there because water always has kind of calmed me, I guess, from growing up fishing and, and being outdoors. And I, I literally just started bawling my eyes out and realizing that there was, I was failing at everything. I was a bad son. I was a bad employee. I was a bad husband. I was, a, you know, I, I was a bad potential father. I was bad human. Yeah. Just
1: DNA was yeah, end of the day.
3: <laughs> I like to think about things in terms of how much you give versus how much you take. And everything about me was take, not give. Um, and, and ultimately, I was literally crying. And I just had this moment where I realized that I had unbuckled my pants or unbuttoned my pants because they were pushing in on my stomach and they didn't fit. And my stomach was burning from the hot cheese. And that I basically had hot Mexican cheese that had dried into my pants. My pants were unbuttoned. I had the window down crying my eyes out and watching children play. And I realized that if the police had bothered to show up at any point in this entire moment, that I was going into the darkest hole of some prison and I was in there. <laughs> right.
1: That's just baby. the creepiest scene ever. Yeah.
3: <laughs> exactly. Like, how do you even begin to explain this? Um, you don't,
1: you don't, you just surrender because you're guilty. Like, Literally you can't. just
3: tase <laughs> me unless let's get it over with, put it on extra chunky. Um, and so, uh, so literally it was kind of this literal watershed moment, right? It wasn't that it was one thing, Or one moment, but it was sort of a number of things that happened over a series of several weeks that just sort of led to this realization that I was going to die.
1: Yeah. All right.
3: Yeah. I just, I wanted, and honestly, in a very real sense, I'm much like Luis, I'm very, very science minded in the way that I approach things. And so it really had just become, I wonder how far back from the edge I can actually go after I've looked over the, the, the proverbial abyss. Right. So that's, yeah, let
1: me, on that note, this is what I'd love to do. I'd love to, I'm going to zigzag around. I'm going to go back to Lewis for a second. Um, And then I'm going to come back to you because I want to dive a little deeper into like from that moment on, but let's get back to when you discovered keto Lewis and you're now, let's say you're on this train, you're there for a few years. Like you've gotten the hang of it. Now, you know, you're not going to die, you know, it's, it's <laughs> Yet. it's right. Yeah. Yeah. At some point. Um, and you, you're going through it. What are some of the things you're experiencing? Cause clearly with your attention to nutrition and fitness, my God, your schedule must've opened up, not just your eating schedule, but your life. Um, I can only imagine that. I mean, how did you, cause you must've discovered that you could do less in every way. Right. And yet gain and maintain. So, what were some of the things that you were feeling that were enlightening to you when you you know were kind of in this?
2: So at the time, first one when, when I started keto, I was actually following more of a classic bodybuilder setup, in the sense that I was still eating um, about five times a day. So I was having the uh, three big meals and you know a pre workout or post workout meal, and then uh, probably a late. Um, snack in the late, uh, evening because in, in Mexico, we normally have a big breakfast. Then, uh, our lunch is about two to 4 PM. We don't have the proper lunch. Like you do in the, in the USA at about one or 12 PM. And then we have a very late dinner. So let's say that about even sometimes 10 PM. So I was following that schedule with about two meals in between. So about five meals a day, um, so I was just eating because I knew that I had to eat, uh, But again, very much m- mostly based on whole foods plus some uh, whey shakes in between, right? Um, they used to mock me in college because I always carried on my backpack uh, tuna cans. <laughs> and my bag my, my was always super heavy. And it was uh, because my, my college is in the same uh, city I live in, which is Mexico City. I didn't have to go and leave somewhere else. I still live with my parents at the time, but the college was um, very far away from my house. Uh, Mexico City is, uh, for those that are not in the known, uh, very much like LA. So, it can take you probably two or three hours to go from one side of the city to the other, and that was very much my case. I had to like, probably commute for two or three hours sometimes just to get to college. So, I was in there all day, uh, and so, basically, I tried to carry everything that I could in my in my backpack and in my car like if you open my my car i had uh, tops of protein and usually one box full of uh, tuna cans because that that's what i could carry (laughs) it just
1: sounds so stressful
2: yeah it, it was stressful in a way but i also like eat about the same things every day so some people may call it boring i call it liberating but now uh going back to what you said i found out about intermittent fasting Probably at about uh, 2008, 2010, very much through Lingains. And that's very much when I started doing, in a way, what I do now. Like, I uh, started to get a little less obsessed about macros and having to eat every two to three hours. And uh, uh, just decided to say, okay, let's see what happens. I'm going to give myself about eight to probably a year, eight months to a year and see how I respond, how I feel, if I actually lose all my my gains, et cetera. And what I found out was really that it was much easier for me to manage. I didn't have to really be worrying about having a protein shake or carrying all those tuna cans, et cetera. And so I was just doing about a 2.5 or two meals a day and nothing really uh, negative happened. And on the contrary, again, it was very much more liberating I could probably eat a little bit more on my main meals. And I was really not um, what I called a slave to the menu. You could probably just... Uh, and it's something that people probably could do some sort of intermittent fasting find is that you really learn to listen to your actual hunger. You're not um, yeah. really eating because you have to eat and because everyone else is eating or because you're bored. But you actually sometimes... Uh, even though it may not be optimal for some uh, cases or in some contexts, you can go, you know, without food for 24 hours or even more and everything is okay. You're not going to die. You're not going to catabolize immediately. It's like, because you already have that energy in your body and your body is using it. So there's really no sense in, you know, just eating because you have to. Right. But it's, I, I found out that this only happened or mostly happened better if I stuck to whole foods, like if I have uh, two meals a day, but it's a protein shake or a protein bar, whatever, it doesn't work. It has to be whole foods. And there's an actual scientific reason for that and mostly involves digestion. but um, And of course, also some psychological aspects and the hyper palatability of foods. But uh, I think that it's pretty much based on, on our evolutionary blueprint. If we look and think about this in an evolutionary way, it makes so much sense versus just following the the pro science, right?
1: It makes so much sense. What did you What? there's some someone asked you a question at FitCon I thought was interesting. It was like, well, okay, so if you're you're on this fasting program and you're keto or super low carb, um, and maybe you're not eating until two or something like that, or even twelve, um, If you want to do, is there some other hack or should you consider some part of the old rule of like, hey, within an hour of like a lift day, you should maybe eat within a certain period of time or are all those rules out the window when you're talking keto or if you're talking specific keto gains, meaning like you have a specific goal. Someone asked you that and I even uh, didn't know that you even had enough time on that panel to answer it. Really, but I would love to – do you know what I'm getting at with that? Yeah, yeah. Because I think that's what the confusing thing I just want to mention is that – so, for example, like me, I I don't like eating breakfast, never have, don't like it. I don't want to eat until like 2, and then I want to eat from like 2 to 7 or something, and then like that's it. You know what I mean? I just don't want to eat late. And so there are times, though, where I might intentionally do something to have a supplement, like a little coconut butter or Mm – You know, like a a kind of fat coffee or bone broth with some gear, something, but still not crazy anything. Um, But it sometimes gets a little confusing in this realm. I think I'm not the only one out there going, is there something I should be looking at to optimize my gym time in this scenario of fasting?
2: Yeah. And again, uh, uh, my answer is going to come from understanding the context and the the reasons why people are doing things. Because, there are like uh, some people that hear me talking and say, oh, this guy is all against fasting. And uh, I'm really not against fasting. I've been did uh, an experiment, and Tyler very much knows about this, when I was eating for a year, one meal a day, and I was living on cottage cheese, uh, eggs, and a little bit of um, turkey, but very much eating 98% the same things every day and, of course, coffee. But uh, just one meal a day. And uh, it was good in a way uh, uh, for body composition. I didn't really improve my strength. I'd say that it's the year where I had negative strength gains, like sort of maintained, but I didn't really gain that much Uh, or probably I didn't gain any at all. I just, let's say that I just hovered and stayed that battle the same. Um, And I think that it's uh, fasting and everything like this is a great tool to improve health. It's a great tool to improve body composition, mostly because uh, it's putting you on um, very much like keto. Uh, it's putting some restraints, and that stops in certain things in your life. So, like uh, keto works very well for fat loss and for health, but mostly because you are restricting certain foods. The same happens with fasting. There has there are, are of course, and I'm not negating. Lots of benefits from fasting, such as autophagy. But in the sense of body recomposition, it's very much making people adhere to a dieting schedule. So because you are not going to be eating at certain times, then it takes out a snacking of, uh, of, the, of, of, of the equation. So uh, snacking, as you may know, uh, is probably one of the uh, um, pitfalls of dieting. There are, people think they're eating just 100 calories, uh, from nuts and such, and then they're po- probably uh, putting in their mouth 500 or even more without noticing because a snack is just, you know, a morsel doesn't count, right? Um, but then um, to actually answer your question, depends on the context. So if your cont- your your main uh, goal is to build muscle and you're already a very lean person, um, let's remember what the substrat- substrates and the macronutrients uh for each one has a certain um, objective and the sense for protein is mostly to be a building block for muscle but also you know for all your body cells and also for enzymes and hormones and more people tend to think that protein is just for muscles and actually just about uh, don't quote me on on this because I'm trying to go by what I recall but just about 15 or 17 percent of the actual protein you eat is actually going to be used for, uh, for gains in a way for muscles. Everything else goes to your normal daily functions, such as, you know, cell repair, enzymes, hormones, etc. So your body can store fat. That, of course, we know. That's why we have body fat. Your body can store uh, glucose in the sense of uh, glycogen, in your liver and your muscles. And, of course, if you're doing keto or you're doing fasting, then this is going to be somewhat limited. So then you have, of course, fuel, which is, uh, sorry, uh, fat, which is in a way uh, pretty much uh, in some cases a limitless uh, source of energy, but you're not giving your body the adequate substrate to build, which is protein. And even though there are some people that say that training fasted, you're going to increase your human growth hormone and then you're going to get gains, that's not how it happens. The human growth hormone that is indeed released when you're uh, fasting for a while is mostly to protect your organs, not really to protect your lean mass, uh, your muscles. It actually shaves off amino acids from your uh, muscles and then uses that to do all the other processes that I already mentioned and to protect the lean mass from your muscles. People tend to think that lean mass is just muscle and not. It's all organ tissue, your lungs, uh, your heart. Those are actually what your body tries to protect. Muscles are going to be really much uh, disposable uh, depending on whatever your body uh, seems uh, or deems worthy at the time. Of course, if you train, especially strength uh, train, uh, you're going to send a signal to your body that you're still using them. So it's going to probably try to prioritize fat burning, which of course it does, but it doesn't mean that you're going to optimize or you're going to be gaining muscle why are you training fasted? So, how do I reconcile both of these um, things? You know, burning fat, training fasted, or building muscle. Uh, well, what I suggest is first increasing a little bit more protein that people tend to do on ketogenic diets. Second is having a little bit of protein before training, uh, like I like you said. Some people don't really do very well with eating before training.
1: How long before training? It can be
2: one hour to 30 minutes. And and the reason is is this. Um, people tend to take a whey shake or a protein shake after training. And they do so because they want to, you know, the body's primed to using protein at that time because uh, training makes the body uh, very much... Um, you're going to absorb some nutrients at this time, uh, the hormonal responses and so on. So people tend to forget about digestion. The fastest digesting protein there is, is whey. And as fast as it is, it's going to take about one hour per 10 grams of protein. So if you really want the protein to really be hitting your blood as fast as possible when you actually need it, it's best to take it before you train. So let's uh, put it this way, 25 grams, which is the average whey shake, and which is very much one one needs to increase uh, or activate muscle protein synthesis to leucine. Well, you
1: could have a piece of animal protein, right? Uh, in this case, I would suggest better the shake,
2: because yeah. the shake is going to be hitting your body faster. Uh, and and I was uh, going to get to the point. Uh, the, it's twofold. You have two reasons here. One reason is to get the protein very much by uh, in your body in your body by about the time you're finishing your training. And second, because uh, the protein by itself is going to increase a little bit insulin. And having insulin before training or around training higher is not bad. It's actually good. And this is why you have some bodybuilders injecting insulin while they're training or before they're training. Insulin is not really, in this case, anabolic. It's mostly anti-catabolic. So what this means is that you're going to increase muscle protein synthesis and reduce muscle protein breakdown. You're going to get more bang for your buck in a way, and you're going to deliver the substrate that you need to train. Now,
1: Wait, let me interject. What if, what if someone says, you know what, for some reason, I just can't tolerate or deal with whey. What are my other options?
2: Any other source of protein you can have, probably egg. is going to be digested slowly, a little bit more slower. So you probably may want to have it about an hour before, or even beef protein. There's even chicken protein. Worst case scenario, if you don't like any of those, you could probably have uh, even a uh, pea protein.
1: Okay, thanks.
2: Like, I'm really not a fan of uh, vegetable proteins, but I understand that they may have their uses. Uh, and some people maybe do ethical or whatever reason, prefer uh, vegan-based protein. Of course, they can use that as well. And then there's another option, and it would be like the third one. Again, let's uh, let's understand that I'm talking between um what is optimal, and then what you can modify depending on your preferences. The key point here is digestion and having the available sub- substrates uh, when you need them the most. If you, for whatever reason, even then, a weight shake is not, or any shake for what for, for this reason, is not a, buy- a viable uh, thing to do, then just make sure that the last meal you had the day before is adequate on protein because you're going to still be digesting those uh, uh, th- that protein. Like uh, People, like, again, uh, r- rarely actually look at the time of digestion of uh, different types of protein. And even so, uh, when you are, they are eating a, a mixed meal. So, for example, if you had a, a very big uh, beef uh, steak uh, the night before, the amino acids from that beef is, are going to be still being uh, digested and hitting your bloodstream at a consistent basis the next day. So let's say that you you may be training fasted, but you're not training protein fasted, if, I, uh, if I'm going to try to explain it in this uh, way. Optimally, you would have the whey shake because also the insulin and the MPS, it's important. And that's, again, if you're taking the optimal approach. But if for whatever reason you cannot do that or that doesn't fit your schedule or you don't want to, well, just try to make sure that you actually hit adequate amount of protein during the day and that, adec- that protein came mostly from whole foods.
1: That was an amazing answer to that question. <laughs> that was so great. That's exactly satisfied my uh, conundrum in my head about it. Um, all right, I wanna move, uh, move to Tyler for a second. When we left off, we were talking about uh you know the moment you finally changed, and you know of course we we could do a four hour podcast on <laughs> on <laughs> and we're on that, but I guess what I want to know is um in moving that forward to where you guys came together and and are are doing keto gains and and coaching and helping others and publicly speaking and um just putting out amazing information what what who when Told you keto was the way to do it, or is that not how you started? Give us a fast track into where keto hit you and made you go, this is what has to be done.
3: So, my brother had tried to kind of do the Atkins thing years ago, and I, you know, started college as a biochem major and then realized I liked uh, vodka a lot more than organic chemistry, too. And so ultimately just dug back into my textbooks because I was going to prove him wrong with all the stuff that I knew. Right. You know, keto, you know, ketogenic diets were going to lead to ketoacidosis and they were going to fry your thyroid and they were going to destroy your liver. And every part of you was going to explode. And then uh, Rob Wolf would insert a certain uh, uh phalange-shaped uh, organ falling off of the body here. But, you know, ultimately bad things just happen, right? And I was going to go and I was going to show him. I was going to say, let me save your life, brother. Ironically, from a guy who was probably 375, 400 at the time. And, uh, yeah, I just, the more I read, the more I just kept finding myself going, this just doesn't make any sense. Like, why is modern society so opposed to an approach like this when it stands to reason no it doesn't negate calories no it doesn't negate energy balance but it provides to some degree a a means for somebody who's glucose impaired to regulate blood glucose so that they don't go on that roller coaster and therefore they have greater senses of satiety and they're not hungry and so it kind of that stuff came flooding back a little bit and so i started trolling the internet looking for information which is uh Generally kind of a crap shoot as to whether you're going to roll snake eyes and you know, be crapped out or whether you're going to uh, um, whether you're actually going to uh, to hit it big. But uh, I actually stumbled across uh, this guy who uh, I believe the term pedantic a-hole was was <laughs> was the definition of this guy. His name is Lyle McDonald. And uh, he's sort of a uh, joke. Sometimes he's sort of like the family, uh, the family grizzly bear. He, uh, he's really fun and fluffy and, and, you know, he can carry you all sorts of places on his back, but every now and then he gets hungry and eats one of you. And, uh, that's <laughs> kind of been his, his MO for years and in, in different boards. And he's got some, some, you know, some stuff he's been pretty open about with respect to psychology and, um, you know, some, some disorders. So I don't want to bag too much on the guy. We've all got our own crosses to carry in that sort of respect, but, uh, You know, he wrote this book called The Ketogenic Diet, which honestly, everything I could find was written for the layperson and not for somebody with a pretty solid grasp of human physiology and anatomy and biochemistry. And he actually started speaking or writing, I guess, in this case about the ketogenic diet using the clinical research and the randomized trials and the rodent studies and the epidemiology and all the stuff that he could get his hands on in that special way that only lyle can um and it was this enormous treatise on on this this sort of thing and i had read like body opus and i've you know i've thumbed through some stuff over the years and you know kind of came to the same conclusion but from a bit of a different perspective where Luis had gone from you know obese child to michael jackson circa you are not alone level of emaciated and anorexic i had come from a binge eating perspective and it just made eating at a caloric deficit much more tolerable. And anybody who says you can still have ribeye and call this a diet is kind of my hero. So, uh,
1: yeah, right. Yeah, that kind of sold <laughs> like me from day
3: water. <laughs> Steak and eggs are my champion. Like, really? I, I could have steak. I could have eggs. That's great. Um, and so I just kind of started doing it. Uh, you know, I had fiddled with like the zone diet and stuff. Um, you know, I really pretty early on had adopted what I would call sort of bastard paleo principles. Um, I would never. And then
1: what? So you were over 500. And so when you started, when you really like got it together and you're like, all right, you know, we're going to we're going to really do this for real. Mm-hmm. uh w- what happened in the first year? What, what, what were your stats? How did it go? What, I mean, that must've been a mind blowing experience. I can't even imagine.
3: Uh, I believe the term dumpster fire was kind of the, uh, the appropriate answer there. Um, you know, I think that sometimes we get a bad rap in the community because we're pretty blunt uh, about things, you know, when you've got to combine, you know, what, 35 years or so worth of eating this way we have invented ways of screwing this up and trying little weird n equals ones that you haven't even dreamed up yet and there's a certain aspect of like we've been there we know where this ends we know what this looks like and we it's hard because we don't want to spare we we don't want to stop you from having your own sort of hero's journey But we know that this is just a big dead end that frustrates people and turns them right back to Snickers bars and Dairy Queen blizzards. And it's this weird place of, you know, I don't want to be the we told you so people. And I know Luis feels the same way. We just we want people to get that. And and, and I think that that first few years were a lot of that. There was just a, a whole lot of me trying to outsmart a diet that was as simple as eat vegetables, eat meat, do some exercise, get some sleep, and repeat it all the next day. That was pretty much it. Um and uh, you know, the real struggle was, you know, online there weren't really forums, there weren't really a lot of communities, there weren't really a lot of any of those things um that that existed that exist now that that existed then. And so, uh, you know, when when some of those communities came online and and became more prevalent, there was, you know, you know, in fact, that's actually the the origin of how Luis and I met. It would be great if there was some like crazy story about how we were both backpacking through. Uh, you know, through, uh, you know, one of the great pyramids of Mexico or, you know, something
1: crazy. It
3: wasn't a romantic hike through the... There was, like, Dr. Professor of the Atkins, you know, like, there was no (laughs) sort of existential anything. We're both big nerds. We're both 80s culture junkies and... Basically, we started making really snarky back and forth comments at one another using G.I. Joe references and weird early 80s movies like Goonies comments, like the obscure stuff. And it it literally turned into a friendship that kind of blossomed when we both jumped into Facebook more, you know, and away from Reddit a little bit. Um, And. You know the community just kind of grew organically around both of us and i think uh they're kind of folks that identify with lisa's story and folks that identify with my story and you know ultimately my story is doing in 12 years what i probably could have done in a year and a half if i had just shut up and followed first principles in the first place
1: right but right.
3: uh You know, chasing the calories don't matter, chasing the insulin obesity hypothesis, trying to put some of that stuff to the test. It was just, you know, me trying again, coming at it from a science minded perspective, but really trying to disprove all the hard things that nobody wants to hear.
1: Um, What was your body percentage fat? Was it even measurable at the time when you were 500 pounds?
3: There was, as far as I know, no device that was capable of measuring my body fat. I would estimate I was in the 70% or 75% body fat. Yeah,
1: that's insane. What are you now?
3: Um, Normally run about 22 when I'm in a bulk up to maybe 24. And when I'm in a cut cycle and I'm trying to get a little bit leaner, um, somewhere around 17, 18-ish. Um,
1: that's so. and weight wise, tell us what that means to people that care about numbers what, with that, what's yeah. that? To, for the numbers. Uh, so over 500 pounds too,
3: I was down to two, right at 205, A touch 300 pounds lost just long enough to say that I had done it, but literally it was one of those starve yourself of food and water just to achieve a Gold sticker yeah benchmark <laughs> so i i sustained at 295 pounds lost and i maintain around 275 pounds down
1: that's really amazing and so uh lewis you you found you founded or i mean you co-founded right keto gains tell us because this is how we can co- He's the he's the
3: original. At least it's the OG here. I thought way. he was Don't the OG. That's you. why I was just shooting that him. So
1: you founded Keto Gains. Uh, everyone go to Keto G A I N S dot com. dot com. We'll put everything in the show notes to connect with these guys on social media and elsewhere. But this is this is for everyone. This is not for just bodybuilders and dudes looking to get bulk. In fact, a lot of your coaching is women. Yeah. Uh, yes. And I and one of the things you guys told me at Paleo FX this year when we were at the uh, Primal Health Coach dinner, uh, little party, was Louis, tell us about this interesting thing that's occurred with what you guys have received in terms of feedback with women and breastfeeding capabilities.
2: Uh, well, that's uh, something that came out of. Um
1: very much now
2: that we're playing with our, our new company uh, element in regards to electrolytes but um very much we've found that uh you know very much as people tend to restrict fat because we've been told so for the last 20 years uh people also tend to restrict sodium so uh, this is very important with uh women who are probably uh, nursing or even trying to get pregnant, they, they overly restrict fat. They overly restrict sodium. Of course, they restrict fat before they uh, learn about a ketogenic diet, right? But um, they still have, some of them, uh, fear of eating fat, a fear of eating certain types of foods. And then also, on top of that, a fear of increasing salt in a way. And we tend to forget that, well, the meaning of salt uh, is basically – uh, or it has been intertwined with human history for, since ever. Like uh, cultures have been uh, built around salt deposits, uh, wars have been waged around salt. The, the a lot of words, especially in Latin, in Latin, uh, have their origins around the world. The the word salt. So uh, we found uh, with some clients that they were having problem with their milk supply that upon increasing their sodium intake as per our recommendations, they magically regained their their supply back and even in greater quantities than they had before in other pregnancies where they were eating a higher carb diet.
1: Yeah. And that photo was crazy because the photo was like this of what you can imagine audience, like a, like a, You know, like a big pint uh, full of like beer, like that kind of size glass. And it was only like filled, you know, like a quarter of the way. And then after, you know, really optimizing according to, you know, what you guys have uh, done for them it was like two full glasses. Exactly. You know, it was just, it was amazing. Yeah, I wanted to just bring that up. It's such an anomaly. I know we don't have a lot of time to focus on just that. I just want to talk about, you know, just some of the amazing things, even women are benefiting from you. This is not just about bodybuilding. And even though gains is in the title, let's talk about how the, Everyone out there can get help from you to get metabolically efficient, whether you are uh, you know morbidly obese as you once were, Tyler, and or if you you know are going down a, a really bad pre-diabetic spiral or you just really want to optimize health and nutrition and, and physique. Yeah. Um, how can we work with you? How do we g- get this stuff?
2: Well, uh, the, the first step, of course, is uh, going into a web- website and learning about what we do. Uh, We just revamped our website this uh, year, so it's uh, more centered into getting out information in a more amicable way. So just head on into ketogains.com and look for the services tabs, and you can find out about our different programs. But very much what we do is uh, try to help people with um, education on diet. Education on different uh, protocols, even though we're called ketogens, we are not really strict into having all the people all the time into a ketogenic diet. More so what we do is, of course, there are some cases where people need to be, or probably for them at this time, the best diet would be a whole food-based ketogenic diet. But we tend to be very flexible. And if we see, and we may even test our clients, that if they respond a very favorably to a higher carb intake, we are very flexible in that way that we start to beer them off once we see they respond well into a higher carb uh, diet. But again, doesn't mean that we're going to put them into eating Twinkies. More so, they're going to be probably eating more sweet potatoes. Or Again, everything we do is try to be is, uh, up on the focus of a uh, very primal-like diet. Whole food is the basis Of our uh, food pyramid, in a way, we're not uh, also um, maybe probably a little bit more flexible than some uh, primal adherents, in the sense that if someone wants to drink a diet coke, well, you understand the pros and cons, and it's up to you. Like you're not going to get kicked out of (laughs) of the club, but again it, it's it's depends
1: there's no punishment there. exactly
2: there's no punishment like uh one thing is to have probably one uh, and diet coke every once in a blue moon or probably even once a day if everything else is like you're probably 90 percent uh doing all the work you need to do and that's like your guilty pleasure you're not going to get kicked out of the primal club but uh, again uh, if if for you that's something because ethics and your beliefs and uh, you're probably convinced of the that, that it's something that, that's not good for you. More power to you. Like we give you the tools and you decide what to do. There are things that are optimal. There are things that may not be the best, but we understand that everybody has you know their their quirks, right? And that's very much what gives most people power to follow the diet. If you are not going to follow the diet, where I don't see any purpose of giving you the diet in the first place, right?
1: Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, uh, Tyler, I was going to ask you, well, and, and, and definitely expound on that, but also wanted to, you've, you've spoken to thousands of people. Tell us, I uh, would love to hear some of your, you know, some of the stark like 180s that have come to mind that have moved you. I'm sure there's so many, but um, I'm sure we'd love to hear it, you know, for the people out there that might resonate sure. with, with who these people are that come to you for help.
3: So just to put a number on those things, because I tend to be sort of the numbers geek of the two of us a little bit, um, is, you know, about 83% of our client base camp to camp or community or, or, you know, overall is, is actually women between 35 and 55, um, you know, I've said before, they're the people actually seeking help. The the guys are still convinced that that demographic or that age that they can do it themselves. And they're sort of where I was, right? I'm still an athlete deep down inside and I'm just fluffy. And, you know, the, the, these ladies have come forward and said, Hey, I'm paying the metabolic cost of how I lived in my twenties help or how I lived in my thirties help. And, you know, f- actually over 50%, closer to 55% of these folks are actively in some way metabolically dysregulated so hyper hyper oh, hashis you know uh, y- you name it uh, type 1 type 2 uh, we're dealing with folks with metastatic cancers um, you know these folks who have some sort of an immune or, or an autoimmune compromise or a met- you know, metabolic compromise um, That are coming forward. So so to your point about us not being necessarily a community full of bros, despite the name gains, there's, you know, actual tangible data to say, look, it's really just about the fact that gains come in all different shapes, sizes and packages. Right. It's it's what really matters to you. Um, You know, one of the biggest stories that I think really stands out. um, I wrote an article a few years ago called Fat Like Me and it's actually a lot of the backstory that I tried to condense down and do a couple of minutes uh, earlier. And, um, I actually got an email from a kid or guy. Um,
1: oh, I read this. I'm glad you're bringing this up because I actually yeah. wanted to bring it up to you myself.
3: Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I actually got a, uh, an email from a gentleman who said, Hey, I just wanted you to know I was going to kill myself today. And I didn't do it because I read what you wrote. Um, and he said, yeah. uh, like, literally, uh, like, I I'm not equipped for this. I immediately was like, you know, hitting the Rolodex of people I know that are therapists. And I'm thinking, like, how do I get this guy help? You know, and immediately he's like, I didn't think anybody else understood what it was like to go through life this heavy. Um, And he proceeds to tell me his stories over 700 pounds. Uh, victim of. Every kind of abuse you can imagine growing up. Um turned to drugs as a coping mechanism along with food, had you know several battles with with drug addiction. Um, actually started working with him and he was down as of the last time that that we started you know doing this really actively um, to around 320 pounds or so down from 700.
1: Wow. And, yeah, isn't that you know, amazing?
3: that's one of those that that hits you right in the feels a little bit for me but there's just been so many um you know I, i've been kind of half keeping up in a little bitty spreadsheet that i've been dealing with cuz i'm a big numbers dork for years um tracking we've been coaching folks for coming up on 4 years now and uh you know we were uh was kind of tracking some of the original folks that came through that were really targeting fat loss and really seem committed to the process, and they've been sending me their data off and on for the last little bit. Um, And I've been tracking the folks who have uh, fat loss as kind of their their primary goal for their camp uh, enrollments. And just in that group of about 900 or so that I've been tracking loosely over four years, that number is approaching 40,000 pounds which is insanity. It's um, great. We, we kind of played with some of those numbers and I phoned a friend who's a statistician and said, Hey, what do you think the real number is for the number of pounds of people that have, you know, that we've worked with. And here's the, the number of folks that have come through camps or work with us one-on-one. And, you know, he said, well, based on some of this data, and if we insert a little bit of a buffer factor here for the fact that not everybody's really chasing fat loss, you guys are approaching almost a quarter of a million pounds lost. Yeah, that's
1: a really great way to look at it. perspective.
3: you know, but it's so funny. Like, I I literally wrote that number, you know, I I tend to journal a lot. Um, I I wrote that number, it was 237,000 pounds was the number that he came up with. And I wrote that number and I circled it and and I started writing underneath it all of the things that I actually give a damn about. Um, Because it's not the numbers. The numbers are handy, but it's the how many kids are going to get to grow up with their grandparents because their grandparents started eating and living in a healthy way. And like how many, you know, how many people are going to walk proud and carry their shoulders back? I got an email from a lady who was working with her. She said, I just wanted you to know I was uh, yeah I'm I'm divorcing my husband. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm trying to formulate what to say. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, you know. Rob always talks about how at CrossFit, when one person joins in the relationship and the other person doesn't, it's always diapers or divorce. And I'm like, how do I formulate this in an an empathetic kind of a way? And so I send back this kind of gentle, I'm sorry to hear that sometimes relationships have just, you know, unfortunately they're super toxic and there's no healing them and maybe separating for a while. And Seeing if you can mend those wounds is great. And she responds back and she says, oh, no, uh, he's been beating the shit out of me for years. I just told him enough was enough and he had to leave. And and those are the things I care. And I know that Luis That's right,
1: because someone gained a level of confidence to speak up for their self-worth. They gained self-worth by hearing your empathetic way of uh, telling your story. And that is just. That is, that's, that's, those are the most moving. That's amazing. Yeah. That's not even about fat loss, is it? That's just about. No, not at all. I mean, but the truth of
3: the matter is you get somebody physically strong, and guess what happens when you when you can get them out of their own way? All of a sudden, they get out of their own way
1: because it's self love. You start to love yourself when you're treating your body right, you love yourself, therefore, you're gonna carry yourself with more self worth. Um, gosh, I, it, Lewis, in, in sort of you know, we'll uh, wind down here, closing out. Lewis, what about you? What are some of the, the stories that keep you know, sticking in your head or come up and move you?
2: Well, um, yeah, very much. Uh, this is very some, this is something we've seen, uh, not only in our. Groups, but uh, when we talk with fellow coaches, very much uh, this is something that happens, I see, with a lot of good coaches or people who do have a very positive uh, impact, both uh, with a primal-like approach to dieting and also by empowering people. And uh, uh, Rob Wolf really jokes about it, and it's the same thing we've seen with our clients. And he says um, something that we found out while we uh, um, taught people who do the primal approach to dieting uh, on their CrossFit gyms, is that very much in some cases, when people uh, got healthier, it ended up in diapers or divorce. So, what I'm trying to say here is that people, uh, especially women, got uh, improved their health so so much that they got pregnant, they were trying for years, or they had just, you know, given up in that uh, case, but the hormones and everything else improved, even their libido, and so they got pregnant, and in other cases, they got the empowerment they needed, and they decided to leave their current relationship.
1: Yeah. Hey, whether you want some diapers or divorce, these are your guys. No, I'm just kidding. You've met the, here's your match. Um, no, it's funny though, because those things are, again, it's really, and it's interesting. Those things usually fall into play. You become a different person. I mean, I'm sure, you know, Tyler, you have like the major 180 of that, you know, uh, the, the level of mental energy and focus you have now to enjoy life. And looking back in hindsight at the person you were is entirely different. Um, I'm just, I'm so inspired by your work. I could talk to you guys forever. You'll have to definitely come back on the show again soon. um, And tell us again where we will put everything in the show notes, but we can find you at ketogains.com, right? Yes. Yep. Thank you so much for joining us, you guys.
3: Thank you for the the time. I appreciate it, Al. Thank you.
0: Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm, it used to be called Primal Calm. And the key ingredient in this formula is called Phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind, we're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life, in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe, on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So, this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.